regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. Hey everyone, it's Jacques Hopkins, and welcome back to The Online Course Show. This is episode 185, and I'm so glad that you're here joining me. We have a conversation with an expert in automation and systems and email deliverability coming up shortly. But if you're new here, we talk about online courses here on The Online Course Show. And more specifically, we talk about how to run online course businesses that are profitable, that help us gain freedom in our lives, that don't make us work like a crazy person, that really just serve our lives and our lifestyle and so on. And I say it all the time, uh, an online course business is more than just the course. And that's actually where a lot of people go wrong. They focus most of their time and energy on the course, which I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of delivering really great courses, producing really great results for the people that sign up for your programs, but there's more to it than that. We've got to actually generate traffic, build an audience. We've got to actually convert that traffic into sales through our funnels and our offers. And that's how you start to put together an actual online course business that's more than just the course. But I think the main reason that that's where most people go wrong is because that is the piece that they are best at. You got into this because you see a path to making money and gaining freedom through something you know a lot about and probably really enjoy. And so you're able to apply that that stuff that you already know, whether it's, you know, guitar or birding or basket weaving and put together a curriculum and a course. But most people in this arena aren't expert marketers and aren't expert salesmen and aren't expert business owners and runners. Business runners, is that is that really a term? We're going to roll with it. I'm not going to cut that out of this episode. But I think you see what I mean. And, and really, that's kind of what this podcast is all about, is helping those of you that have an online course business inside of you, helping you to just kind of unlock that and help you with the parts of the business that maybe you aren't a natural in. Because you have this amazing expertise in something, and it would be awesome if we could turn that into a profitable online course business. And that's what we're here to do here on this podcast. Now, I will say a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about in this episode are not for like complete beginners. These are the things that really help you scale. What we're talking about today is a lot of systems, a lot of automation, and those are the things that you don't necessarily need to set up from the very beginning. In fact, I would prefer you not do a lot of those things. That way you can focus more on the grind of cranking out content, putting together a really great funnel and an offer, putting together your minimal viable course and actually getting it out there and not just waiting and waiting and waiting to launch because you're trying to pursue perfection on your very first version. But once you start to get some traction, you have traffic coming in, you're getting some sales, people are successful with your course that actually sign up for it, and that's when we can start talking about these things that will help you scale. For example, we have somebody in one of our programs who in the past week has launched her first online course and done over $15,000 in sales in just the past week. And that's because she put together a good first version of her course. She put together a good funnel, a good offer, and she focused on one traffic source. She's not trying to be everywhere to everybody. She just had one traffic source and it's TikTok for her, by the way, imagine that. And that allowed her to, when she launched, to do over $15,000 in sales in her first week. And there's been a lot of grind. She has no team at this point, but now she's in a great position to start thinking about doing these things that help you to scale with your team and your systems and your automation, a lot of operational type stuff. So she's not a complete beginner anymore. 
and can start thinking about these things. Now, the one exception here is I think everybody could stand to increase their email deliverability, getting your emails in more people's inboxes, less in their spam boxes and promotions tabs and so on. So that is a large chunk of what we're talking about in this conversation with the guest today. So even if you are a beginner, that may be something that you could implement right away. So my guest today is Lisa Cato from the businesscatalyst.co.uk. In fact, if you go to her website right at the top, you know, I always talk about how it's so important to make it clear in the first like five seconds when somebody visits your website, really, what, what am I going to get out of, you know, your site, your world, and so on. And there's a really great headline at the top of her site there. And it says, create an incredible customer experience whilst simplifying your business processes. And after talking with Lisa, that is certainly what she's all about. She's about the entire customer journey, all the way from discovery through the sales process. And even once they're inside of your course, and really optimizing that whole process with systems so that your customer can have the optimum experience and really your potential customer because this is pre-sale and post-sale stuff. So I thought that was really cool. I was introduced to Lisa by uh, Jason Dion, who's been on this podcast a few times, a very, very successful course creator. Lisa worked with Jason to set up a lot of automations in his business. And so if you have any interest in systems, automation, customer journey, email deliverability, this is the episode for you. Without further ado, let's go ahead and play the full conversation between myself and Lisa. Hey there, Lisa. Welcome to the online course show. Thank you. It's really good to be here from all the way across the pond. Yes, no doubt. I was, uh, I was across the pond not too long ago. We spent the month of June in France, but now I'm back home and back to work. Lovely. I actually lived in France for seven years. Whereabouts were you? Yeah, I saw that. You said, so I tried to find where, because all you said was the south of France. So I'm, I'm assuming somewhere on the coast, like Nice or Mar Marseille for you. Well, we actually, our closest town slash city was Montpellier. Uh, huh? But we lived about 20 kilometers north of Montpellier in a tiny little 11th century village with not very many people in it. Wow. Montpellier is a little more like southwest, right? Yeah, it's the very southern. If you look at France, there's like a little pointy bit. It's right on that kind of pointy bit. But technically, yeah, I think it is more southwest. Okay. What, what took you? Well, that's probably opening a can of worms. But I was in uh, um, Annecy, France, which is right outside of Geneva, Switzerland. Yes, I, had, I do have a short story for why I was there, if you want to know. Yeah, give me the short version. The short version is, is the main part of my career was making computer games. And in about in the late 90s, we had someone join our team from France. And this is in the days before cloud. This is in the days before Zoom or anything. And in about the year 2002, he said, love working with you, but want to go back to France. And at the time, we needed a second development studio. So we we're like, hey, why don't we open one up in France? He can run it there. We'll run this here. So we did that. And then a year or so later, we're like, hey, why don't we buy property near the office in France while the kids are little? And then we could spend more time there. And then it was like, oh, before the kids go into mainstream school, let's go and live there for a year because otherwise we're not going to get to. And the year became seven. That's the short version. That was good. Yeah. What, that's amazing. What's like, uh, what's your favorite game that you ever were a part of making? Well, we put the Adidas ball into FIFA soccer. We did all the branding and Sony Gran Turismo. So we started by uh, putting brands into third-party software, and that evolved into making promotional software for big brands uh, like the big cereal companies, the big biscuit companies, which were on-pack and in-pack offers. I don't know if you remember CDs that used to be on cereal boxes, but that was us, like millions of, of CDs attached to cereal boxes, that kind of thing. And then um, Unilever turned around and went, we don't want to be in someone else's game. We want to have our own game. So then we started making promotional software and then that led into making PlayStation and Xbox games. So that was the main, and then we retired to the South of France. We literally took seven years off <laughs> and raised our kids in beautiful French countryside who are now bilingual. Very good. True four hour work week fashion, even less than that. 
Yeah, well, it was interesting because we actually, for Kellogg's, one of the big cereal manufacturers, they turned down a project just before we moved to France and we closed one of our development studios. And they went, yeah, actually, four of the territories don't want it, but we found another eight that do. So in the days before cloud, we were FTPing files <laughs> up to servers and down again, trying to kind of basically pre-cloud synchronizing backups and, and whatever with uh, remote development teams. It was a lot of fun. Fun would be one way to describe that. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> so fast forward to today. Um, mm -hmm. I know a little bit about you. I know, um, you know, queen of automation, right? I know you've, you've helped uh, somebody who's been on this podcast multiple times, Jason Dion, with some automation type stuff. So I, I know you've got more than just course creators and as clients, but What's the what's the like quick version of, of how you help business owners? And if you could narrow that in even more, because I'm sure you have multiple clients that are course creators, like how are you how are you helping people today? Well, the the our core product is under the umbrella of the ideal customer journey. So we take a walk through someone's business from the first touch that they have with someone, which could be on social media, it could be from a web form, through what we're doing to um, capture their details, attract their interest. They're the wrong way around. Attract their interest, capture their details, follow up with them, get them into your sales pipeline where you're then making the offer, the sales process, closing the deal, and then post-sale, what you're doing to then fulfill against that um, and then get the all-important testimonials and reviews in order that that promotes people coming back in to the top of the funnel. So we, we take a walk through someone's business, we identify the gaps, we look at what the opportunities are, we then build out an action plan for the best ROI on those opportunities, and then we put that plan into action by building automation, training businesses how to be automatic, um, and joining a lot of the dots. A lot of people have a lot of stuff cobbled all over the place. So we, we streamline businesses, saving them enormous amounts of time and getting them uplift in their sales, because so many people in the sales process drop out. And this is where with course creators that we're very good at automating the onboarding as well as the journey through the course. So what we find with a lot of content creators is they have this kind of fire hose content situation where they are opening up membership sites and subscriptions. Um, and then people are just disengaging with their content because they're just they don't know where to go they don't know what's right for them because the content creators are not actually offering up the solution for why people came so for example if you're a health coach someone might be coming to you because they need information on nutrition or exercise or mindset around food or recipes but if all you're doing is just opening up all of your content they don't know where to go so what we do is we have a look at what those solutions are that you're offering and we, we test people. We go, okay, what are you in here for? What can we offer you? And we direct them to the right content. And then we continue these feedback loops to make sure that people's content is sticky and valuable. So that's the, that's the customer journey through the content versus uh, through, the, um, through the sales funnels. It sounds great. It sounds awesome. Okay. So like, I've got a few notes here and you, the number one thing that I wrote down at the very top, the number one thing I wanted to ask you, you somewhat alluded to it, but I'll, 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 I'll ask you that next is, do you focus more on pre-sale or post-sale? Cause from that, it kind of sounded like the focus is more on post-sale. Um, no, we focus on the whole thing. So wherever we can automate that or make something automatic so we break down the customer journey into three phases that is before someone becomes a, a customer during the sales process whilst you're converting them into a customer and then post-sale so all the stuff uh, pre-sale is making sure you're capturing people making sure you're segmenting people making sure you're educating them and indoctrinating them on who you are and the product that they actually came to you for um, and then knowing at what point somebody is engaged 
with your content. So for example, with Jason, we actually time coded his video. So we knew how many minutes of each video someone had watched. And if somebody's only watched two minutes of a 20 minute video, they're not engaged. If they've watched 15 minutes of a 20 minute video, they're engaged. So we're able with the automation to know that information and to react off the back of it in whichever way we want, whether it's in uh, communication directly to the contact, whether it's to somebody internally to take action, whatever it might be. So um, knowing, knowing why somebody's come in, making sure you're segmenting them, making sure that you're following up for the right reason at the right time to the right person for the right reason, measuring that engagement, having the dashboards and reporting off the back of it, pushing them into the offer process. It's like, okay, I know someone's engaged. I know what it is that they're interested in. Now is the time to make the sales offer, whether that is an in-person sales offer, a one-to-one, -one, or whether that is a, uh, an automatic one where you're pushing somebody towards a cart, uh, and then obviously having the abandoned cart sequence. You, you've got different sales processes depending on what kind of business you are. If you are an e-commerce type of business, somebody's coming along, they're picking an item, they're putting it straight into the cart and they're away. It's a completely different sales process for if you have a higher ticket of a couple of thousand bucks or anything above $500 really, where you, you need to have more engagement, you need to build more like, know and trust before somebody's uh, going to consider purchasing from you. And whether that's in person or whether that's nurturing via SMS or it's nurturing via email or it's retargeting via Facebook, that's the kind of information we're harnessing to automate that. Then we get to the sales process. So what does that sales process look like? How many touch points? If you are a one-to-one -one sales process, do you have your sales deck? Are you doing the automatic follow-up? Do you know what the value is in your pipeline? And when you last spoke to someone and if they were just too busy to look at the proposal because they had to pick their kids up from the football game or actually they're on holiday until September, you know, being able to harness this information to, so that your sales team are very comfortable with who to follow up with when and about what, close the deal. If you don't close the deal, have those people popping around, making sure that they're still digesting and getting access to relevant information to them so that if you have another offer, you can bring them in and then post sale and the delivery, making sure that they have an absolute fantastic seamless onboarding and indoctrination into the actual delivery of your product, directing them where they need to go, telling them what they need to do next to get the most value. Uh, and then on into after a certain amount of time going, are you having a great experience? Yes or no? If yes, please come and leave us a review or make a recommendation or refer someone in. And this is who we're looking for. So we, we not only design and build all of that, but we're also looking at the who your ideal customer is, what value you're bringing. So we do a lot of coaching around business and marketing around the different strategies to ensure that you and your team are saving time as well as growing your sales and making a business go from grow to scale. The repeatableness of it means that you're able to scale versus just constantly grinding at this, top up the funnel, get me more people. No, 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 if I get more people in, I'll close more sales and then I have to stop what I'm doing because I've got to deliver against it. And it's just this awful, vicious cycle. Yeah, I always say like um, when you're just getting started and, and, and trying to build something initially and get some initial traction, some initial sales, it does take a lot of, you know, the word you use grind. But to truly scale um, beyond that takes a lot of systems and automation. And I, I'm, I love automation. I'm a big fan. Before, before I got into this world, I was an engineer for eight years. My title was literally automation engineer. That's what we did. We did automation. We, did, we automated processes in like uh, chemical plants and refineries. Um, so like opening valves, you know, shutting valves, uh, taking action based on certain things. Um, but I'm also a big fan of simplicity as well. So for that reason, I've never been huge on segmentation, and that's a word you use multiple times, um, because I, I never really know where to draw the line, right? So you used a specific example of like, okay, well, we can time code, you know, did, did this person watch two minutes of the video? Did they watch 20? Like, we could, we could literally, you know, have a different action based on how many minutes they went through, and then there's 20 possible different actions based on that one video, where do you draw the line with segmentation? You could go that deep if you wanted to, but that yeah. would be slightly over-engineering it, which I mean, one of, our, one of our values is to keep it simple and to help our clients keep it simple because we work with a lot of visionaries who have an awful lot of ideas and it's like, okay, 
let's just take one of these ideas and make it happen. And, and obviously with the cross section that we have of the businesses we work with, we have a lot of scope. We have a lot of experience of different types of businesses. So yes, you, you would probably break that down into has watched 25%, has watched 50%, has watched 75% and decide at which point, which can often be where the offer is being made in a video. Uh, so it's a video by kind of video basis. But if it's in a course environment, it's making sure that people are consuming the content that you're putting into the course. Otherwise, people are disengaging with your course, which means they're not getting value, which means they're either not going to buy another course or they're not going to renew the subscription to the course that they have. And they're certainly not going to recommend people. So to keep people engaged, you have to know where they are disengaging. So sometimes that can be just for reporting purposes to identify if there is a problem with the videos to see, well, why are people dropping off here? We've got 25 videos and by video six, people are not watching it anymore. Why is that? Do they need prompting? Do we need to understand that they've got a new problem? They've solved the problem for this video series. We need to push them over, over there. And that's where the customer journey comes in. On a segmentation level, we segment for, we use a tagging system to segment for different reasons. It can be profile, who you are, where you're based, what you're interested in, uh, your gender, really depending on what the course is. You could, if you have a relationship course, for example, you might be directing female people versus male people, gender indifferent, don't want to offend anyone, in a different direction. So having that data, and we work a lot with dynamic content. So it's like, if they're male, then do this. And if they're female, do that in the simplest terms. So you can create a completely bespoke custom experience with kind of generic content once you know who you're speaking to. Then it's what are they interested in? They're interested in nutrition. They're interested in recipes. They're interested in mindset work knowing what they're interested in and when they're interested in it is another form of segmentation, knowing what content they've consumed, they've downloaded this, they've watched that. It, it's, that's the different ways in which we segment. Okay. So let's say that I have, let's just take a hypothetical example. Let's say I have a course business and I basically have just like one course. It's around 500 bucks. So it doesn't require selling on the phone. And I'm selling with like a, um, a really simple like webinar funnel, evergreen webinar funnel, so people come in and um, and they you know either attend the webinar or don't. Maybe you have a few email follow up afterward. Um, if they don't buy, we're still trying to get them to buy with emails and then whatever the offer is. Maybe there's a discount or something that's ending that ends using some urgency. Um, what's the problem with just having everybody that opts in? go through the exact same path. Wouldn't you eventually appeal to everybody that's going to buy anyway? Wouldn't you rather appeal to the right people sooner and understand what objections you need to overcome for those people? Yes, if, tell me how to do that. Well, if you, uh, is that what you just described as a standard webinar to course funnel? And I'm pretty sure that there's a very high percentage of listeners on here now who have got that very funnel driving people into the webinar to push them to the course. Now, why, if you're getting a, let's say 30% conversion rate on this automatic funnel, understanding what's happening to the other 70% of people? Do you just then let them go cold? All the effort that you went to, to get them to get into the webinar and watch the webinar or sign up for the webinar. Have they watched the recording? Have you tracked if they've watched the recording? Are you now following up now that they've watched the recording because they didn't attend it live? And at what point are you giving up on them? And what other strategies can you put into place to scoop up these low hanging fruit who have now got experience of you? The light, know and trust has begun. Why is it understanding why they've dropped off? Did they drop off on the web? If the webinar is 90 minutes, at what point did they drop off? Did they drop off at 30 minutes? Did they drop off at 60 minutes? Or did they see the offer coming and they just, you know, were in it for the free content? At which point are they ever going to be a customer? And this, this scales back, this loops back to who is your ideal client? And we do a lot of work around that because even uh, not everybody is your client. You might feel, yeah, but I can serve so many people with this. Getting really niched on your ideal client and understanding exactly what problems uh, they are looking to have solved and marketing those solutions and marketing those outcomes is a large part of knowing how to follow up and what the objections are going to be on the other side of the webinar once they've attended or missed it. I do. I completely agree that identifying the objections of your ideal, um, ideal audience, ideal customer 
and then marketing and selling with outcomes and, and, um, and benefits and things like that, extraordinarily important. What is your recommendation for identifying those key objections? Surveys and quizzes are uh, really important. Polls during the webinars. It's very difficult to be kind of course ambiguous. It's like, how do you interview your ideal client? One thing that, that we've done a lot of is have a look at our clients, our existing clients who are happy, and we ask them why they bought and why they wouldn't have bought because they're the ideal client. What we think they, they're going to say and what they actually say can sometimes be really pulls apart. So, oh, yeah, I didn't really think about that. So identifying within your existing list already who is your ideal client and why, you know. So for us, for example, our ideal client might tick all the boxes, but if we're not dealing with the decision maker or the person who's going to be working with the automation, then they're suddenly not our ideal client because they're not invested in the outcome of the process. And we know that we have challenges when we're dealing with members of staff versus the decision maker. So understand even if someone ticks all the boxes, it could be a personality trait, really identifying who your ideal client is and then interviewing them around what experience they're having with you and why they enjoy it. And indeed, having an exit survey, if you can get on a call with the people that have had the offer made to them and actually just ask them, they go, what is it? Is it, is it a price thing? Is it it's not, it's not now, it's later thing? Or, yeah, this product isn't for me for these reasons. And some kind of exit survey could be really interesting as long as you keep it really simple and really low barrier to entry. You make those people burn brain calories, uh, you're going to lose them in 2.4 nanoseconds. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we, we have an evergreen funnel for, um, you know, my, my piano course. And after the offer ends, a couple of days later, we send one more email. The subject is you didn't enroll question mark. And then it's, it's pretty simple. It's not asking to get on a call, but it's just like, Hey, lots of people signed up, but you didn't just curious what the reason was. Let us know. So we get a lot of valuable feedback uh, from that. And, and we've applied some of those objections um, back into our funnel through the years, but we still don't really segment very much. The funnel that I laid out for you earlier is, is fairly common. That's kind of, in my opinion, one of the simplest ways to go about selling an online course without, um, successfully, but without like a phone call. Um, and you mentioned, you know, something about 30% conversion rate. I mean, that's, I would love to get 30% conversion rate. That's, that would be amazing. Um, some people even struggle with 30% open rates on a single email. Don't rely on open rates. Don't get me started in on open No, rates. I want to. Let's get started. Like the, <laughs> the, to hear you say that number is like, wow, but like people are, people are, what if somebody can't even get a 30% open rate? Like you have, I think you have recommendations on just email deliverability as well, right? Yeah, we have a, we have a thing called science of getting in the inbox and what happens is, is people don't understand how the mailbox owners, which is Yahoo, Gmail, Hotmail, um, all of those guys, Microsoft, how they're deciding whether they're going to put your mail in the inbox. Even if somebody's double opted in, even if somebody's subscribed, they, they have a will unto themselves. But there are ways, if you understand how they work, which is with, because of the amount of emails that we are responsible for delivering, which is millions every month, we have to know about this stuff. So if you're emailing somebody... Let's say it's a Gmail recipient, and it might be that it's their own domain.com, but it's through the Gmail servers, right? So if you continually email somebody when they haven't engaged after 90 days, and engaged means open, clicked, scroll, something like that, because the mailboxes, they see all, um, then they consider that a cold email. And if you continually email cold people who haven't engaged within 90 days, you're considered a spammer. If they consider you a spammer, they not only don't deliver that mail, but they will not deliver any mails from your domain. They will stick them all in the spam, the junk or the promotions folder because you're now a spammer and they know you're a spammer and you get a really bad email reputation on your domain. So there's a number of different ways. You start with email authentication. So if you're using a mass mailer like Keep, MailChimp, active campaign, there's certain authentications you have to set up so that the mailboxes know that those software have permission to send on behalf of your domain. 
These are things like SPF records, DKIM records, which says, yeah, active campaign, keep is allowed to send from my domain, let it through, digitally sign it. So there's stuff like that. Then there's the knowing, then there's the hygiene of making sure that you're not emailing spam traps, opted out people, all of that, and that you're only emailing to be engaged. And we have tools for that as well. Um, and then there's not relying on open rates. So in September 2021, Apple brought in a new update. I think it was iOS 13 from memory. Basically, in simplest terms, what that means for us email people is that they are pre-opening. Anyone that is looking at an email on an Apple software like Mac Mail or the native mail software on an iPhone or iPad, Apple are pre-opening the mails and giving a false positive. So you cannot rely on open rates, which is why you have to rely on clicks. So what we say is, is the subject line sells the open, the open sells the click, and the landing page sells the product. And this is the way you need to think about email marketing. Then you go into content. Then there's certain spammy words. If you use clickbait, like win $10,000 by clicking here, that's clickbait. And the content filters at the mailboxes, they see this and they go, yeah, that's spammy content. You're going straight to the junk folder. Um, and then there's, you know, using capital letters over formatting images that are too big, those kinds of content issues that will also end you up in the spam folder. So there's, there's a number of different things that you have to navigate and juggle um, and making sure that you have a system that is geared up for that, knowing when someone's disengaged. So we know with all our systems, for example, if somebody goes into the non-engaged between 60 and 90 days, we know that we have to run a re-engagement campaign, whatever that looks like for that client, whether it's retargeting on Facebook, whether it is an SMS campaign, whether it's sending them an offer or an email going, we're unsubscribing you and instigating FOMO for them. You know, and so it's about having consistency with your email sends, uh, with the volume that you're sending, with the frequency that you're sending and knowing this is, goes back to segmentation, right? You segment per email engagement. There's, there's a lot I'd like to follow up uh, there. If you don't <laughs> mind. I'm taking notes here and trying to, trying to, uh, we have a, we have a PDF called the science of getting in the inbox, uh, which outlines a lot of what I've just said, um, as well. It's, it's got some useful information in there to guide people of how they can best serve themselves in getting in the inbox. Okay. Where, and where is that? That's, that's on our website. I can give you the link for that if you like. Um, I can, it's the businesscatalyst.co.uk slash the hyphen science of getting in the inbox with hyphens in between the words. But I will give you a, a link to that that you could maybe put in the notes for this. If you Yes, like. absolutely. That sounds good. Um, but I'm still going to ask my follow-up questions. You can ask so as many follow-up questions you, as you like. You buy. said one thing in particular that seemed a little like controversial. I don't know if I misunderstood you or what, but here's what I heard. You said if you're sending an email to somebody that has not engaged with you in 90 days, meaning they haven't opened, clicked, scrolled, those are the words you used. Yes. Then your emails are going to start showing up in their spam folder and everybody else's spam folder. That's and going through that server. So if you're sending to Gmail and you are consistently sending to what they consider cold people, so people that haven't engaged within 90 days, Gmail are going to put you in what we call Google jail. They're going to go, well, you're behaving like a spammer. You look like a spammer. You behave like a spammer. So we're going to treat you like a spammer. So we're not going to deliver any of your mails. Yahoo are particularly on top of this. And sometimes if it's Black Friday or Christmas, they'll bring it down from 90 days to 60 days just because they can. That This just hasn't been my experience. Now, I uh, like I'm uh, keeping a clean list and, and, and whatnot is very important to me, but there's certainly times because like we, we remove somebody from the list after six months, not 90 days. And so we are certainly sending people emails that haven't engaged with us within 90 days, yet we're still ending up in other people's inboxes, right? So that goes contrary to what you're saying. Are you saying that they are, I'm saying if you're doing it with Gmail addresses, Gmail will behave like that. If you're doing it with Yahoo addresses, Yahoo will behave like that. The mm -hmm. individual mailbox providers have their own rules and laws, which they will change at a moment's notice, depending on how they, your reputation with them. Okay. If you're so, only sending a couple of hundred a month, it's not going to impact you. If you're sending volumes like Jason, for example, Jason is sending hundreds of thousands of emails all the time, 
regularly, his volume. So if he's going to be sending thousands of emails that are not engaged, it's going to affect his reputation. And rebuilding your email reputation is really tough. You can trash it in a second. Rebuilding it takes months to get back in the good books of the mailbox providers. Okay, so maybe it's not quite as just black and white as as I first interpreted it, and, and it has to do with the, the overall volume. Um, we're somewhere in the middle. We send thousands of emails, you know, a week. Um, and let me let me tell you what we do for list cleaning, and you can maybe you know uh, audit that or, or give me feedback on it. But what we do is is when people come into our world, you know, they're visiting pianoin21days.com. We try to get them to opt in. Um, once they opt in, then um, they are immediately going through an evergreen um, funnel, which is about twelve days long. Everybody goes through the same funnel. And if you make it through the, let's see, if, if you get the first like three or four emails and haven't opened or clicked anything, even that very first one that had the freebie in it, then we unsubscribe you automatically. No re-engagement, anything like that, because I can only assume maybe you had a typo in your, um, in your email address, or it just, it went to spam and you didn't care enough about it. Cause like when one thing, I guess it really should start, I should say when somebody opts in, I don't immediately give them the thing. I say, hey, go check your inbox, right? And I think that's probably the first key step um, to making sure people are starting to get emails from us. Uh, absolutely. And what I would add to that on your thank you page is not just have go check your inbox, go check your inbox. If we're in your spam or junk folder, please move us to the inbox because the mailbox providers see that they see someone being moved from junk to inbox and that improves and helps your reputation and will help ongoing delivery. So please whitelist us and give instructions on your thank you page of how to whitelist. We have a page on our website, which is if you're with Yahoo, this is how to whitelist us. If you're with this one, this is how to whitelist us. <laughs> so that that will positively impact your reputation going forward. And what you're saying there is beautiful, is that we've got a 12 gay engagement sequence. If you don't engage in four males, then you're not right for us. You could also, there are services like Clean 13, where you can scrub emails as soon as they come in and they can be identified, like Keep, for example. Keep will identify if it's an invalid email and you can, you can identify that straight from the off. So if somebody has been on a webinar um, and they have registered for the, well, they're not going to be on the webinar if they've registered for the one one, but if they're going for a download or something and you've got an invalid email and you've got a phone number, you can then SMS them and go, we're trying to email you at this address and it's bouncing. Now having a, a CRM that can support you in that is, uh, is good news as well. So keep keep formally Infusionsoft will do that like with with no um, additional cost. That's just part of what they offer. Yes, they have email status uh, where they will say invalid email, hard bounce, soft bounce, and on the Max Classic version, you can actually behave differently, specifically on different bounce uh, and email status codes as well. Okay, so I, I use Active Campaign. That's that's what I, I recommend for most uh, for most people that follow the podcast, and I know that. Like if they, if they get a bounce status, they'll stop trying to deliver emails. Um, it sounds like maybe keep takes, is that what you're talking about? Or is it just keep taking a step further? There's there's soft bounces. There's, there's dozens of different bounce statuses. So a soft bounce could be mailbox full comeback later type thing. Whereas a hard bounce is like, this is invalid. Um, but keep will, uh, continue to email to a soft bounce, a hard bounce. It will unsubscribe. Okay. So I've used, I've not, I've not heard of clean 13. I've used something called, I think it was called emailable is something I use that I think does something kind of like what you're saying, where it kind of integrated with active campaign. And every time we got a new, um, opt-in, it would, it would, it would decide if it's a good email or not. And I could set up rules to automatically unsubscribe and not send any further emails. And that was pretty cool, but I found it wasn't, um, it wasn't finding all that many, and it was kind of pricey for what I seem to be getting. That's that's been my experience with tools like that. Is is it's it's hard to justify the cost. It can be depending on the size of your list. Clean thirteen, for example, you you buy a pack of credit, so you're only using the credit when you need it. It's not a monthly subscription. Not only that, but we set up campaigns because I'm a Keep partner. I'm Keep's. Um, most valuable partner outside of the States and in the uh, EMEA, European, Middle East and Canada territory. So we keep is my poison here. This is what I do everything with. 
So with um, with the what we call our hygiene campaign, when we scrub emails, we then put it into a nine month rescrub. So we go right once a contact comes in, scrub it. If it's good, great, and then put it on a timer. And nine months later, rescrub it because the mailboxes are also known for creating spam traps out of valid email addresses. And what the bots are now doing on the web is absolutely terrifying. So you've got bots which used to fill in a lot of web forms with, with rubbish data, right? And that data can trash your list because it can affect your, it can affect your deliverability. Because if you've got a bot, if you have a bot attack, which then populates one of your lead magnets, which you're then auto delivering to with rubbish addresses, your reputation can go south. But what the bots are now doing is they are scraping valid email addresses from websites, filling the forms with those and then people are marking you as a spammer, which then affects your reputation. So yes, there's a solution to that, which is encrypted forms and protecting your site from bots. A bot yeah. attacks anyway, whether it's your website or your web forms or your CRM, having that kind of security against bots is highly, highly recommended. So I had I, I had some bot attacks happening a couple of years ago. My assistant was like, hey, we were getting about 100 opt-ins a day. And she's like, hey, what did you change in your marketing? You're getting like four or 500 <laughs> opt-ins. And then we got up to like 800 opt-ins. I'm like, I don't think much has changed, Emily. Like, let's let's look into this. And it was, it was of course, bots. And the solution that we implemented, not really like, it just, um, it's just something we came up with. I'm sure there's a better way. But what we noticed was these bots were filling out every form, every field, um, whether it was a, a visible or a hidden field, basically. And so we added a, a hidden field on our form just called bot. And so, and we still have that implemented to this day. If somebody fills out that field, which a human can't, can't really do on, on the opt-in page, then we just automatically unsubscribe them. And so That's while we're cool. not getting regular bot attacks, if it ever happens, we're now somewhat prepared. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful work. And we do encrypted forms. Uh, so the bots kind of don't even know it's a form in the first place type thing. Uh, and we've had a huge, huge success uh, with that as well. But it's also, it's your website, you know, these bot attacks, make sure that your web developer or whomever, it, your site is protected because the bots can come in. Is your site backed up? You know, is that what, how, what impact is it going to have on your business if your site goes down? And what do you, you know, how long is it going to take you to get back up? How much customer faith are you going to lose? How many sales are you going to lose? making sure your site is protected. That is insurance that you want to have. Do you recommend using Cloudflare at the DNS level? Yes. Okay. So much about that. my dev team work on that, but yes, I do know that. Well, the, the other thing I did with the bot attacks is I, we, you know, in active campaign will tell me somebody's IP address when they opt in. Yeah. And so most of these um, bot opt-ins were from basically the same IP address. So because we're using Cloudflare, we were able to just block that IP address and that helped as well. Absolutely. And that's also very useful. Uh, we do that for our analytics so that our internal traffic doesn't skew our marketing numbers. So we block from our analytics in the same way with Cloudflare that all of our uh, team's IP addresses so that if we're working on our own site or our own marketing, we're not then skewing our own numbers. So we're, um, we're, we're, it sounds like we both lean more on the tech side. You know, I, I mentioned I was an engineer. We talked about your background. Like, I'm sure some people's heads are just exploding right now because not everybody yeah. in the audience we're is like, marketing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so like, if somebody, let's say somebody non-techie, like all of a sudden notices a 10X increase in their opt-ins and, and they heard us talking, they're like, oh, this sounds like maybe a bot attack, but don't know the first thing about how to actually solve it. Like, what do you recommend they do? Well, they, they should have a tech partner in their world in the same way as you should have an accountant to do your tax return and a mechanic to fix your car. You should definitely make friends, whether it's your web developer. Um, there are many forums like on Facebook and stuff where there's people such as myself that you can reach out to and go, this is happening. What do I do? Um, but you should go for preventative rather than reactive measures in that of making sure that your site is protected. So whoever built your website or whoever uh, you've got in your world that knows about website builds, you should have your firewalls and your virus protections on there. And your web forms 
should also be encrypted. And as you say, you can, there are, if you've got a WordPress website, there are plugins where you can block specific IPs and, you know, you can see spammy comments coming in and stuff, but it's like anything. You, I believe in experts. I don't do my own tax return. I have my accountant for that because it's going to take me longer and I'm probably not going to get it right. So I like to stick to do, doing what I'm good at and then have experts around me. I don't do traffic. I don't do creative. So I have agencies that do traffic for me and my clients. I have web developers that are building the landing pages and the funnels for our clients. It's not what we do. We build automations. That is where we are at our best. Well said. Um, while we're talking about the techie stuff, there's one other note I made that I wanted to make sure I address for the audience. And we're, when we first started talking about a, a email deliverability, you mentioned one of the things we can do is authentication. You mentioned yes. SPF and DKIM. Yes. And I don't know a lot about those things. I know we have implemented those things. And so, um, uh, like if you're using Active Campaign, I know they have a really good article about how to implement that for Active Campaign. You can just Google search Active Campaign SPF DKIM and just follow the steps. That's all that I did. Or if you're using another email autoresponder, you could do something similar instead of Active Campaign. But that one, um, like I said, I don't know a lot about those things. I know it's important because that's what you're saying as well, Lisa. Um, that'd be my recommendation for how to do that, especially if you're not techie. Correct. I mean, there's two types of hosting. You have your domain hosting and you have your website hosting. The domain hosting is the people that you pay, like GoDaddy, to use the actual name of your website. The website hosting is the space, the real estate that you are renting in order to have your website somewhere. And they could be in the same place, but they might be in different places. On your domain hosting, you have something called DNS, which is the domain name servers. So you're telling GoDaddy, for example, go here for my emails to Microsoft, or you're saying go here uh, for my website. And it's like it's like the, the control panel to say where everything's happening um, in your digital world in respect of your domain and your hosting. The SPF, which stands for Sender Policy Framework, is the first authentication which says that Active Campaign or Keep has permission to send mails. Have you ever got a mail that has got Jack Hopkins dot 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 Active Campaign at jackhopkins at gmail.com? You know, one of these really stupid long send from yeah. names. That's because you haven't got a DKIM, which is like a digital signature. That is something that you put in your DNS that is absolutely unique to your keep application or your active campaign application so that they can go this application is absolutely signed from the jack hopkins uh, domain and should say jackhopkins at gmail.com or whatever it is coming through so those two things are absolutely imperative for email delivery um, and then the dmark is something that, that verifies both are in place and as of a few weeks ago Gmail are basically, if you haven't got DMARC, they're not delivering you. And that's as of uh, a few weeks ago. So there, um, I can definitely direct you into uh, companies that are experts in email delivery specifically and can help people get set up. We help people get set up all the time as part of our service. It's not something we offer independently, but I can definitely uh, give you a link to people that can help your audience uh, with getting set up with that properly. Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. And um, just one more time, if I mean, that was really well said, but if somebody's still not understanding, which I'm sure a lot of people like, just know it's important and you probably want to do it if you're interested in increasing your email deliverability. Yeah. Right. And don't learn open rates because yes. they are false positives. Yes, true. Okay. So the last jumping back, the last thing we do for, um, for keeping the integrity of our list and, and trying to increase deliverability and whatnot is um, is six month re-engagement. And by re-engagement, that's, that might be kind of generous because we send one email, something like the subjects, like, are we breaking up or something like that? And yeah. we used to do three emails, but what I noticed was if somebody doesn't change anything on the first email, they're really not going to change anything on the second or the third. So we switched to just one email and the triggers are if in six months they don't open, click or visit our website, um, then we will, um, send one email. And if they still haven't done those three things in like, I think five or seven days, then we just automatically unsubscribe them. 
I, I think that's right. I think as long as you've been sending reliably and consistently up to that point and it's engaging content and you know they've engaged at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, I would try and offer before I say, right, off you go. Um, and because you don't want to be unsubscribing people that are clients either. So it's a question of what your funnel looks like and where you're sending people to. But in principle, what you're saying, 100%. Uh, and just stop people people get really attached to the size of their email list it's like no 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 I can't possibly let go of these people because you know but it's like if they're not engaging with you they're doing you more harm than good so let it go I hear frozen in the back of my mind I want to sing but I won't subject you to that um <laughs> but you know is if they're not engaging they're not your clients so and they are possibly negatively impacting those that are prospective clients I mean, my piano's right here. I can get my piano. You can sing. We can just totally shift gears here. Yeah, we, we could. I'd probably want to get my daughter down for that who actually can sing. <laughs> my, um, my email list it had gotten up to over 70,000 emails, to your point. And it's kind of a vanity metric, right? I think we're down to like 30,000 just because of how clean of a list we keep now. Nice. So, exactly. but you wouldn't recommend I change that six months to three months? No, so I would I would say go 90 days on it. I would say start to look at re-engaging people once they approach the 90-day mark, and you should absolutely not be emailing, as far as my standards go, after 90 days. Put them into a Facebook re-engagement campaign and get them to re-opt back in if you're that, you know, if you still think there's money on that list. Okay. So let's keep talking about tools a little bit. Um, you're obviously a big fan of Keep. Will you will you take on somebody as a client if they're not using Keep? It depends on what they're doing. So we do do a lot with course creators, content creators uh, that are not necessarily keep related. So whether we're working in Kajabi or Thinkific or Teachable or Customer Hub, um, and that's to do with our client value matrix product, which is looking at the first 90 day journey somebody has with you. Uh, we do this per product or per avatar because we can often find that you multiple products or you know this products for this type of customer and that products for this so looking at the journey that somebody has with you in their first 90 days in order to keep your content engaging sticky and valuable so we've been seen to increase customer lifetime value from three years to seven years with this product of people that drop off disengage making sure the ascension points are good making sure the engagement points are good uh, having feedback loops to make sure that the problem they came in to have solved is still the problem they want solved um, and keeping it all sticky. Okay. So what, uh, what other tools um, are you like recommending or using for this type of stuff, automation and systems? I mean, are we talking like Zapier or is that too basic? No, no, we, we do use Zapier. We prefer Make, which was pre uh, uh, previously Integromat. Uh, but we do. Oh, I didn't realize Integromat changed names. Yeah, to make make.com. Yeah. So my, my experience with that is Integromat, or now I guess now make was just like almost a even techier version of Zapier. Correct. Correct. Uh, it is. It's not, whereas Zapier has a really uh, easy user interface. So we do do a lot with Zapier. Uh, we try and do as much as we can with make because it, for us as geeks, it has more flexibility. Mm -hmm. And often the service we provide our clients is that even once we finish building something or making something, we have a support package, which is like we're here pretty much 24 seven to make sure that everything runs smoothly. So there's also reporting. We do a lot around reporting. We have bespoke reporting software that we have built from scratch so that we can track not just where leads are coming from, but where they are in the sales process, the sales funnels, ROI reporting, KPI reporting, to make sure that you have the data that you need to be able to make the decisions in your business. Because what gets measured gets done. And if you're not looking at the numbers in your business, whether it's financial numbers or your engagement numbers, then you're going to be much slower in moving forward. So we Another do, tool. sorry, I was going to go tools. Yeah. Yeah. What other tools or software? So we, um, so we do a lot within the softwares such as like Kajabi, like tagging people inside Kajabi would be an example. Although Kajabi is not one of our favorite softwares to use. We do love a bit of Membirium and LearnDash because again, of its flexibility and the amount we can do with it. Uh, our, our bespoke reporting has been built in um, Data Studio, 
but then the back end of what we've done on that is um, is a beautiful thing, shall I say? Which I have to accredit one of my product colleagues in sitting down and just streamlining this process of of how we build our applications out in order to make sure that it's it can have the standalone reporting as well, which is really valuable. Um, so in essence, yeah, so we do a keep, we join keep up with other products with Integromat, which is now Make, or Zapier. We push out to Google Sheets, Data Studio. We do things like onboarding. So for consultants and coaches who have an onboarding process, we will join everything up. So for example, when somebody uh, onboards with us as a client, we have automation that runs that sets them up with a project board in our project management software, creates the shared Google Drive, uh, creates the documents inside the shared Google Drive, opens up our own membership site, which is all of our indoctrination stuff in there, um, and creates an invoice in our accounting software and sends a message on our Slack out to our uh, finance department to make sure that they uh, check the invoice before they send it out and uh, to the team that we've just on we're in the process of onboarding a new client so we've automated that so there's a lot to be said for automating a lot of your workflow I have an expression which is incremental is exponential because if you can save five minutes 20 times a day all of a sudden you've you're starting to create the breathing space that you need to be able to work strategically on your business or on your marketing to help grow it. And that's where automation really for me is, is quite magical. Yeah, it's, it sounds, it sounds good. So do you, do you, is your business now, is it mostly a service based business or do you teach people how to do this for themselves as well? We're mainly service-based business, but we do, um, we do have in our membership site, course not courses but little how-to videos on my youtube channel you know how to automate a zoom meeting and you know the back end of, of creating that with tools like plus this for example um, of configuration we're we are primarily a service-based business but that's not to say that we haven't put stuff out there already and stuff for our existing clients we are very big on our clients being autonomous and not having to rely on us that doesn't serve us at all for them to feel like they're beholden and if we fell off the edge of the world that suddenly their business would grind to a halt so we we document everything and we educate our clients in that okay so before we go we've spent a lot of time talking about more on the marketing and sales side of things um so let's talk a little bit more about um you know, post-sale activities. And as you alluded to much earlier, testimonials are a very big part of that. Um, how do you recommend, uh, a lot of times people are kind of scared to even ask for testimonials, right? How Do you have a kind of maybe an automated process for, for helping people get testimonials? Yeah, we do. Along with the line of get out of your own way. It's like, if you think that you're delivering something amazing, why wouldn't you, what are you scared of? They're going to go, no, I didn't like it. And if they do do that, then get the feedback. So one of the things that we do is we do have a survey campaign. You, I don't, you should ask if somebody liked the product before asking them for a review, right? You want to, you don't, you don't necessarily want to risk it. So having a survey campaign of either how are we doing or how did we do? And it can be as simple as a smiley face, a neutral face and a sad face, or give us a number of stars. And then using something like the net promoter score example is that okay well if if somebody is sad what do we want to do we want to get on the phone find out why and see if we can convert them from a sad person to a happy person because they will be your biggest advocator and you will learn the most so what we do is we send people to a landing page we go sorry that you're not having the most bullying experience can we have feedback and we have an open field that they can have their little rant in and then we um off the back of that, that then creates a task for somebody to reach out ASAP to that person or whatever the relevant format is. Um, if they are happy, however, immediately the thank you page will go, that's brilliant, please leave us a review, whether that be on Facebook or Google reviews, whatever your uh, platform of choice is, with a follow-up email to make sure that they do. But the very first step is the most advanced referral strategy ever which is ask for them. <laughs> Hopefully in some automated system though, right? Well, yeah, otherwise you, you forget, right? The whole point of automation, the whole point. One of the big positives of automation is to set it and forget it. And what then about when you, it breaks down? 
you know, you can, when it, well, it's, when it breaks down like your car breaks down, you go find an engineer to fix it. But also it could be an internal prompt. If you have a higher ticket item and you're looking for somebody to leave you a testimonial or a recommendation on LinkedIn, it would be an internal task to say, go on LinkedIn, ask this person for a recommendation in the LinkedIn system, because you can't do that in an automated way. Yeah. What I found, we, we have a lot of systems we've implemented automations. And what I found is most of the time, and maybe you've got a better way to vet a system before it goes live, but most of the time we know that there might be some bugs, some tweaks we've got to make once it goes live. And the important part is to just stay on top of it. And when something does break down, when something doesn't work quite right is to like review it and fix it and not just let it keep happening. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And we often put fail safes in our campaign. If there are uh, potential points of failure, uh, we'll do things like uh, have a, a a thing that will raise a ticket with us immediately going this campaign has failed and then our support team will jump on it straight away uh, depending on how complex the campaigns are you can put fail safes in and have dashboards and again it comes to reviewing your numbers and knowing what the expectation is and if something is if there's a roadblock or things aren't behaving as you expect and knowing what that expectation is means that you can take action on it and that's part of the day-to-day -day operations of your business which uh, any business owner should have time to review. And should, that's what dashboards are all about, is looking at the numbers in your business across the department, sales, marketing, um, sales, marketing, operations, finance, culture, people, whatever it is, is to have the three KPIs per department that you know that you can impact, that you should be measuring and you should be looking at regularly. Once a month minimum, we look at ours once a week and we can you can spot trends and see what's happening. You can start to see how you want to impact your business and start to move it forward. Okay, Lot, lots of really good stuff. Um, I mean, there's a lot of other directions we could go, but I don't want to take too much more of your time. I mean, for this audience, is there anything else like super important you'd love to share that we hadn't really talked about yet? Um, I The one thing that I always say is have a look at what you're doing in your day, in your working day and in your life. And if you are repeatedly doing something two or three times in a day or in a week, then you should really investigate how you can automate that. And automate includes make automatic, like I was saying about the LinkedIn. You know, that's not automated. It's making it automatic that you will reach out to someone on LinkedIn. So to really have a look, if you, if you feel like you're in a hamster wheel, if you feel like you're treading water and you're never quite getting ahead and you never have enough time, is you, you need to be having a look at what you're not liking in your business, delegating and automating that um and starting to design the life that you dreamed of having when you became a business owner which many of us missed the mark on and looking at automation to help you solve a lot of those issues can be very powerful but you need to do the diagnosis before you can prescribe lisa you're speaking my language thanks so much for your time um if somebody wants to you know learn more about what you have to offer I'm guessing the businesscatalyst.co.uk, right? Anything specific once they're there? There is a book a call if you want a discovery call to learn more or you want to send us a message because you've heard something that you want to learn more about, then you know, hit us up with a message and we will reply with whatever resources we have. We're very open with our resources uh, on all of our channels. And if you want to learn more about how you can you know, advance and accelerate your business using automation, then we'd love to hear from you at the Business Catalyst. .co.uk. Excellent. Thanks, Lisa. Pleasure. Well, that's a wrap on the conversation there between myself and Lisa. Thank you again to her for coming on. Once again, her website is thebusinesscatalyst.co.uk, and we'll put some of the uh, links and resources that she mentioned in the show notes. You can find that at oc.show slash 185. And I just want to reiterate, I mentioned this in the conversation, and remind you that this stuff is awesome. But don't take things too far. You can certainly over-systemize and over-automate. I remember years ago, before my business was really doing all that much just yet, that I spent a long time crafting this like elaborate funnel with all these like upsells and downsells and automations and all kinds of things. And before I even turned it on, I was I remember going to my wife and saying, Babe, I just I just created like the ultimate funnel. 
And she, she, of course, is like, that's great. She had no idea what I was talking about. But in my mind, it just seemed good on paper, but ultimately it didn't work. And it was far, far, far too complicated. And you've got tools. I think Lisa mentioned a tool called Plus This. I've dabbled with that before, Plus This. It does actually a lot of really cool things. One, one feature of many that it does is it allows you to tag people based on how far they got in a video. I mean, you could take that so far. You could tag people down to like the minute or the second in terms of how far they got through an individual video. And if you've got multiple videos in your funnel, you could do that for each video. But there's a limit and we just don't want to overcomplicate things. We want to do some of these things, but one thing that I really want to stress is to find that balance between systems and automation and then doing that too much as well. So overall, I think this was a great one, a good reminder about these things, especially the email deliverability part. I didn't really expect to get into that quite so much, but I thought it was a great conversation and, and very actionable. The email deliverability stuff is something you all can go implement really immediately. And when we started talking about some of that SPF and DKIM stuff, one of the things to really look for is when you're sending out your emails, like do a test to yourself and if it says it's coming from, for example, Jacques at theonlinecourseguy.com via SendGrid.net, via you know Active Campaign, via Kajabi or something like that. If it says via there in the from email, that is lowering your email deliverability, and that's when you know you need to implement some of these things that we were talking about because your domain itself has not been authenticated yet. So just a heads up on on that, just a specific tip. So that's going to do it here. Check out Lisa's website. Check out some of the resources we mentioned at the show notes. Once again, that's oc.show slash 185. Oh, one more thing. One more thing. Okay. We have a new website. We finally have a new website at theonlinecourseguy.com. Most of you know that I switched the entire business over to Kajabi. I started that process several months ago. We've got this podcast hosted on Kajabi. We've got all of our programs and community and everything in Kajabi now. And ever since I started that process, I really just put a basic landing page up at theonlinecourseguy.com just saying, hey, look, we're revamping things. Enter your email if you want to stay tuned for updates. Well, it's, it's simple, but the website is now live. And so if you want to check out the new website, if you want to see how it looks built completely on Kajabi, then do that. And we have a free training you can check out as well. It's uh, it's an on-demand webinar. It's brand new. I just created it last week. It's it's not super long. It's about 40 minutes or so. But But here's my promise is in those 40 minutes, you will come out on the other side understanding the things that seven-figure online course businesses are doing that yours may not be doing. And you'll have clarity and focus on what you should be working on right now to move your needle quickly in your business. Rather than looking at your list, there's a million things you could be working on. You're not really sure which one to be working on to actually get results in your business. So those are my promises for you. It's my latest and greatest training. So check that out. Check out the new website at theonlinecourseguy.com. Let me know what you think. Thanks again for being here and we'll see you next time.